Welcome to the Failsafe, a podcast about writing and failure. On this episode of the Failsafe, I talk with Carmen Maria Machado. Carmen's debut short story collection, Her Body and Other Parties, was a finalist for the National Book Award, the Shirley Jackson Award, the Kirkus Prize, and the LA Times Book Prize, and was the winner of the Bard Fiction Prize, the Lambda Literary Award for Lesbian Fiction, and the National Book Critics Circle's John Leonard Prize. In 2018, the New York Times listed Her Body and Other Parties as a member of, quote, the new vanguard, one of 15 remarkable books by women that are shaping the way we read and write fiction in the 21st century. Her essays, fiction, and criticism have been published widely and most notably in The New Yorker, The New York Times, Granta, Tin House, and Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. She holds an MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop and is the writer-in-residence at the University of Pennsylvania. She lives in Philadelphia with her wife. The Failsafe is produced by Draft, the Journal of Process in the Iowa Writer's House. Draft publishes first and final drafts of stories, essays, and poems, along with author interviews about the creative process. Find them online at draftjournal.com. The Iowa Writer's House is a community literary organization that provides education, resources, and opportunities to writers, extending the Iowa literary legacy to all. The house offers workshops, residencies, as well as literary-themed rooms in a bookish boutique B&B. Listeners of The Failsafe are invited to stay where the authors stay and receive a 10% discount on their visits to the City of Literature. Find them online at iowawritershouse.com. And last but not least, special thanks to the Iowa Arts Council and the State of Iowa for their support, which helps make this podcast possible. Coming up, Carmen discusses the anxiety of writing outside her genre, why her attempts at novel writing keep failing, and she weighs in on the cat person controversy. All this and much, much more. Right now, I'm Rachel Yoder, and this is The Failsafe. So, um... Yeah, so the whole concept behind the failsafe, right, is that usually I'm talking to incredibly successful writers um, about failure. And um, what I've started to do is just ask, you know, writers at the outset when you hear, because usually people say like you did, I love talking about failure. So when, <laughs> when like, you think about weirdos, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, but it, it is, it is odd that we all are really drawn to talking about it. Um, so when I, you know, when you hear creative failure, when you hear, oh, uh, a podcast about failure, what do you think about? Do you even believe in failure when it comes to sort of your writing life and creativity or how do you, why are you excited to talk about failure? Um, because I know some people don't, you know, Kelly Link really took me to task when she sat down with me. She's like, what do you mean by failure? Yeah, so so I wonder what comes up for you when you're kind of presented with this idea of failure, creative failure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so funny that uh, I can imagine Kelly saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting because I get, you know, I get asked a lot, like, at Q&As and, like, by people who ask me questions, they're like, oh, like, what is, you know, writer's block, like, what happens when you get stuck, and, like, I am one of those people who I really love 
like I really love writing like writing gives me a lot of pleasure and I am never at a loss for ideas like that is not my problem like my problem my problem as a writer is like sitting down and doing the work it's not actually like inspiration um or anything like that so right so yeah so for me failure is about this like it's almost like this more sort of like logistical thing um and like motivation it's not like oh my ideas are stuck um I guess what I think of, and also I feel like with my work, like a lot of failure is trying to reach, like trying to reach people in a certain way. Um, because I feel like, you know, somebody, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you had this experience, but like when I'm writing, like sometimes it's like the, the, the trouble is like bridging between like what is happening in my head and like a reader, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like how work, right, like how work like demands a certain amount of work from a reader and like, some readers are like more into that than others. And like, so I feel like for me, it's, it's a different, so I'm interested in ways in which like, I feel like it's, for me, it's like never about like writer's block. It's always about like, God, like doing the work and also like, how do I bridge this gap? Um, and also all the normal sort of professional anxieties that, that one has as a, as a writer, um, which is like its own brand of like anxiety about failure. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I, it's just really interesting. I feel like there's like, I have been listening to the fail safe like every episode and I, I'm really interested in what people have to say about it. Um, and I also, for me, I feel like there's this anxiety cause like I'm in the process of sort of transitioning into nonfiction yep. and that's it's anxiety that I'm having because I'm like a fiction writer with like experience in fiction and nonfiction feels um, alien and, and I'm, I'm worried about fucking it up. <laughs> like that's like, my, <laughs> like I've been having this anxiety of like fucking up the memoir or fucking up essays um or like can i do this thing am i allowed um so there's also that as well like transitioning genres is like very anxiety inducing yeah i i'm so glad you brought up the memoir um it's coming out in a couple of years it's called house in indiana i believe and uh yeah, and I was I, I had a question about that, that i'm glad you brought it up i, I was just wondering what what's different about memoir than fiction or what are the particular challenges? What gives you anxiety about the memoir? Is it just because you haven't written in that genre as much and you don't feel as confident or, or are there some more sort of formal considerations? Oh God. So I feel it's like a list of like things I'm anxious about. <laughs> first of all, um, <laughs> First of all, it is, so I've discovered as a writer, what I've discovered in the last few years of my life is that to get to an essay, I have to write fiction about that thing first. So, which I did not realize, I only discovered sort of by accident, actually someone who interviewed me pointed that out to me and I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So for example, like I've been trying to write an essay about fatness for like a really, really long time. Like I've literally had drafts and drafts and notes and thoughts that never like coalesced um and then I finally wrote a short story that was in her body at other parties called eight bites where I sort of tackled it in this really intense way and then I suddenly felt like mentally freed up to like write mm -hmm. the essay and then I wrote an essay that was in Guernica earlier this year and similarly with House in Indiana so like it's a memoir about um abuse in same-sex relationships both my own and also in general and sort of history and, and talking about that issue, which mm -hmm. is like a thing that like, I sort of looked for books about and could not find, which is sort of why I wanted to write one on my own. 
and it was another case of like I tried to write essays, I, I kind of write them and submit them, and, they, and when I go back and read them now, I'm like, oh my god, they're so awful. Like, <laughs> I was really struggling to find space for that topic, and then I wrote several short stories that sort of dealt with it, and then I suddenly found myself writing this memoir. It was like somehow attacking it with fiction where I have a little more at my disposal in terms of like tools like because I can like fictionalize things and there's like all the stuff I can do um yeah. suddenly freed up my mind to think about it in a non-fictional way yeah it's yeah it, it sounds to me like it's almost like you kind of first approach it from a more sort of subconscious psychological maybe even like emotional level right where you're sort of like yeah. clearing out yeah. the psychological closet via stories and then are able to kind of enter into this new sort of cleared space. Um, oh, I like, I like that metaphor. Yeah. I where... think that's what it is. <laughs> but I'm also like, I don't know, like nonfiction, like, you know, I'm comfortable, like, like I'm teaching my first nonfiction class in the spring and I'm really anxious about that because like fiction, it's like, I feel super comfortable teaching classes about fiction. I have for years and years and years. I've like read a lot of fiction. I feel like super well read in like the things I teach. But, like, nonfiction, I'm still like, discovering stuff about nonfiction. Yeah. And I feel like also my book has, like, this sort of experimental quality, the memoir. And so I've been reading the last year, I've been, like, reading a lot of, like, experimental nonfiction. Like, for example, I just read and had my mind blown by Brian Blanchfield's proxies. Um, so I feel like I'm still in this process of, like, discovery where I'm learning, like, the parameters of nonfiction in the way that, like, when I, years ago I sort of learned the parameters of fiction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there's also this anxiety that I'm like out of my lane, that I'm like <laughs> not in my genre. You know, it's a lot of like, uh, you know, and I'm like, I know a lot of really amazing nonfiction writers, like people who studied nonfiction. And so I'm like, oh, uh, um, so there's just like a lot of, uh, there's a lot of that anxiety. It's just like kind of constant. Um, and worrying like, am I breaking the rules? Like, is this going to be, is this book going to be a huge flop? I worry about things like, I'm writing to this very specific niche and I worry, I worry that that, that is like, which I know is like, I mean, there's a lot of really amazing and well-received nonfiction that is writing to that, to like a very niche topic, but like, I don't know. So yeah, so it's like, it's like fraught with anxiety in the way that when I write fiction, I don't feel that. Yeah, yeah. Fiction, I feel confident about it, but in this new genre, it would be like if I was writing poetry, I feel the same way. I'd be like, oh my God, what am I doing? Yes. House. I, I wonder too though because it's memoir for me one of my greatest anxieties about writing personal essays and memoir is that there's nowhere to hide I mean I um I tend to write fiction that's very autobiographical but I'm like it's it's a story you know like you can't deduce anything from my life um it's not factually true but when it gets to memoir I'm sort of I can't really hide behind that veneer of fiction anymore. Yeah. Um, In in addition to all of the sort of the formal considerations as well. There's, I just, you've brought up so many good things. I don't even know where to go. Um, Going back, going back to your first book. Oh no, this is what I wanted to ask you. So you said that, you know, the memoir is experimental. Certainly um, your first book, which has seen such great success, I think people would characterize as experimental, right? In a sense, sort of bringing... Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering, do you have any um, 
whether it's a manuscript or a single story, any experimentation that you've done that's failed, that's been incredibly informative um, as you've kind of moved into uh, developing your particular style that's really struck a chord with people. Like, what did it kind of take to get you there? And did you have any kind of spectacular experimental failures that were also sort of aha moments? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, my, my, my computer has like an entire graveyard of failed experiments, um, like a folder I was obliquely called retired. Um, <laughs> it's literally just like everything I failed at. Um, right uh, and that could be for a few reasons. Like when I first got to grad school, I wrote a bunch of like really dreadful, self-serious stories that I have since hidden away. Um, Occasionally, I strip them for parts. Like I'll go through and I'll like take sentences out or like, images that I like, but like the story itself is sort of dead, um, and I feel like cannot be saved. So I feel like I went through this phase where like those stories, which are pretty traditional in a lot of ways, uh, failures of their own. And then when I started to do more experimental stuff, especially formal experiments, like experiments of form, where it's like, oh, this is taking the shape of this other thing. Uh, I discovered that like sometimes either either the form itself was like not receptive to what I was trying or like I was not the writer at that moment to be doing the thing. Um, and I feel like a lot of my writing failures are like I am not equipped to do this right now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, I had stories like I had a story in Karate and Other Parties that like I started in grad school. It's the story Mothers, and I like literally got exactly halfway through it and was like, I don't know how the story ends, and I like, stuck it in a folder, and then three years later finished it. Yeah. Suddenly, I had become in the intervening time. I had like become the writer that I needed to be to finish the story. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's a thing that happens a lot, and I'm actually having this right now with like novels because like I even this memoir is like sort of fragmented, and so it's sort of like writing a lot of little stories. You know, it's not like traditional in its structure, and like I keep trying to write novels and like utterly, utterly failing because I don't know. I cannot make my, I can't make the fiction that I'm writing fit the architecture of a novel. Yeah. Um, and when I read novels, I'm like amazed and baffled by them. I'm like, I, I don't think I ever could have written this. Like, there's just so many things. Like, I'm just not a natural novelist. Like, I'm not a natural like long form can totally relate i read novels now and i'm like what is a novel i don't even know what a novel is yeah no totally and it's really it's funny because my, my wife is also val is also a writer and she um sorry my headphones just slid off um, so she's she's also a writer and she's working on a novel and so she kind of she's it's amazing and she like will sort of drop these little like bits of these little bonbons and wisdom she'll sort of be like oh like you know being in a novel it's like being in the middle of a really tank spaghetti ball and you have to kind of like and that's how you know that you're like it's like in progress like because you there's like so many threads and it's like i can't like for me i can't like juggle enough i'm like mixing all my metaphors but like i can't juggle the balls you know what i mean like yeah. necessarily kind of like get all that in the air in a way that a novel could happen so like i keep trying to write novels and literally like they like i recently was like i'm writing it i'm gonna write this novel that's a riff on Thomas Bernhard's Woodcutters. And so I wrote it and I wrote like 25 pages. I'm in sunlight and it ended. And I was like, oh, I thought that was going to be a whole novel, but it actually ended up just being a short story. Right. Even though Bernhard had done this exact form in novel form. So, so I sort of feel like I, I, I'm just like struggling with that. 
I definitely have formal experiments where like the formal constraint is too tight. Um, it's like, it doesn't give me enough leeway as yeah. a writer. So like actually a really good example is, so the story, the story in her body and other parties called especially heinous. That's uh-huh. like with this, uh-huh. with this retelling of like a hundred or no, 272 episodes of law and order SVU. And so initially what I was doing with that story, my initial idea was like, I was going to take the actual IMDb descriptions of like capsule descriptions of each episode. And then I would sort of work them to be like speculative or like kind of mess with them a little bit in a way that was weird. Yeah. And I started that and I was like, it was fine for like a minute. And then I was like, you know, this is like too restrictive. Mm -hmm. Like this is not giving me enough space to like play around. And so then what I ended up doing was like stripping the episode descriptions and only using the single word titles as like these jumping off points. Um, and then the story actually succeeded. Yeah, like that I was actually able to like get into it. Uh, but I definitely have a lot of stories that are, are very like, like I have a story that I really love that like, or I loved writing it, but like the, the ultimate story is like fine, but like not great. And like, I didn't put it in my book because I didn't love it. And it was like, I'm gonna tell a story backwards. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's that experiment. Or like, right. I'm gonna tell a story. I have another story like that was in the form of like, it was a legalese, like it was sort of written, it was written like a law, um, and it's fun, but like, A, it's impossible to read out loud, like when I try to read, I read, my wife and I read all of our work to each other, and like, I read it to her a lot, and she's like, I cannot follow what you're saying, because like, the, the law, the legalese is so dense that like, the sentences went on for so long that she was really struggling to like, follow what was right, really right. happening. And, and so it became one of those things where it's like, it was a fun experiment, but also like, I don't know if I would put that in a book because I don't know that I sort of, I, I sort of use the form, but I don't like ascend above it, which is sort of the goal, right? Is to like use it and then like move past it. Um, Cause if you're just occupying the form, that's not interesting. That's just like, okay, it's like a trick, like a parlor trick, you know? Right, um, right. And so, yeah, so sometimes like I write them and like I do transcend the form and then I'm like, okay, good. Like I've done what I want to do. And other times it's like, I've occupied this formal constraint, but like I haven't done anything with it that's like super interesting. Um, or like I haven't connected the plot of the story to the formal constraint, which is also a mistake people make, I think. Yes. Like, yes. They don't inform each other in any way. And so they're just like, it's like separately you have like a story and then it happens to be in this constraint, but like why does it, like why is it in that form? Totally. You know what? Yes. I yeah. totally know. I've been, I have this horrible beast of a story that. I started writing in a way I never start writing stories. I was like, I have an idea. And so I just started writing without planning. And now I'm to the point where I'm like, I have two different stories and I'm not sure how they fit together. You know, like it just, it was just like a headache. It was like a, it was like a Mensa mini puzzle where you have to be (laughs) smart enough to figure out how like all the different things fit together. And it drove me crazy, but yeah, I've totally been wandering around in that same space of, you know, you it's, it is really fun to like play with form and to have, I love writing short. I love the short form. I love short stories. Um, I love that. It's like, the path is narrow and you have to kind of like be pointed in a, in a single direction. You're working on one problem. And I have the same, it, that really, when you we're talking about novels, it's like you, you're not only going forward, but you also have to kind of like spread out in all directions and like fill up this yeah. wider path as you like move through the story. And it just seems like, what do I possibly have to put like in this like 
breadth of space that I have for a novel. Um, and so I feel like I have to think, I have to think about it in a new way. And I don't know what that way is yet. If I were to ever write a novel. Right. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's like, it's almost like, it's like an exercise. It's like your body can do certain things and not other things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's like your mind can do certain things, not other things that you might be able to train it to do certain things or not. Yeah. It's just like such a weird, and it's hard because I'm like, I love, I love trying out new forms. Like that's like a thing that I enjoy. Um, but yeah, then it's like this process of like, am I even capable as a writer? Like, do I have the writerly capability to like do this thing? Um, yeah. So it's scary. And it's scary. And also I worry that like people who are good at that thing will be like, oh my God, what is she doing? <laughs> you know? And I'll be like, sorry, I didn't mean to tread on your on your territory. Um, you can be like, know, I'm just, just I'm just innovating. Just watch and learn. Right. I'm innovating the form. <laughs> Um, so the stories in Her Body and Other Parties, I assume you were working on these when you were at the workshop. Is that right? I started, yeah. So there's actually three. So like my thesis for Iowa was also called Her Body and Other Parties, but actually only had three overlapping stories. Um, so especially heinous, difficult to parties and women have bodies were in thesis that are also in this book and everything else I wrote post-Iowa. So, so what, what happened to those other stories that were in your thesis? Where they just... I decided I didn't, I decided I didn't like them and I just put them aside. So they just sit or in the University of Iowa do... library now in a, in a... Yes, if someone's so scared to, <laughs> they can <they> see them. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I wonder how, so no, like... the workshop is a pretty, I would characterize it as a pretty traditional program. Maybe I'm wrong, but, um, how how were these stories that you were writing received at the workshop? Was there any pushback or were people ex- kind of excited about what you were doing? Were they able to read them? It, there was almost no pushback. It's weird. I feel like people, yeah, are always like, I was so traditional, but like, I don't know. I never really struggled in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, occasionally there would be like, I never really had classes. Like I had one classmate who like sort of notoriously like, loathed, especially heinous, and like wrote me like the meanest letter of my entire graduate <laughs> career. Uh, and that it was like shocking and, and really like just really angry. Like I think she just really, really hated it, which is like fine, like that's fine, I, you know, whatever. But like mostly I actually, people were really excited and enthusiastic and encouraging. I feel really lucky. I mean, I feel like Iowa is changing a lot in terms of like the diversity, diversity in, in every capacity, including diversity of like genre. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was there, like, like there was like EJ Fisher was there and he's like a straight, like a science fiction writer, like, you know, um, and like that's what he was doing. And like a lot of my classmates were writing like a lot of non-realism. Um, so yeah, like I don't, it, I, yeah, I felt generally very supported. Like anything that wasn't supportive was like a weird outlier. Like, yeah. you know, mostly yeah. everybody was really great and they were sort of like, keep going. And I got really, I mean, it was, it was getting weirder and weirder every semester. And I, was having sort of, <laughs> I was having like a rough, especially my second year was like kind of rough emotionally. And so I was like really struggling. And the way that I was compensating for like all the shit in my head was I was just writing like a maniac and mm-hmm. I was just writing like weirder and weirder stuff, like especially heinous and like all these other, like, we're like, you know, like, I, I had this class with Michelle Hunnivan, and she's such a, she's so lovely and so brilliant, and she was just like, she was like, so this is, this is happening, like, this story is happening, <laughs> like, you know, it was like, I've never seen anything like this, it's really weird, but it's great, you know, and it, it was just sort of like, I felt like I was just sort of spiraling in this, like, very weird 
way. What a great thing to hear, though. I've never, like, great and terrifying. I've never seen anything like this. It's, like, excellent and also, oh, no. Wow. Right. No, exactly. And then I, it's funny because that story, I really struggled. I really struggled to publish it because I, once I had sort of gotten through it, I actually really loved it. And I was like, this is really good. Like, I'm proud of myself as an artist. Like, I'm really into this story. I was trying to publish it, and I really was struggling because, like, it was too long for a lot of venues. Because it, it was, I thought it was, like, 17,000 words. So, like, <laughs> in the genre world, like, they're usually pretty, they'll say, like, in their guidelines, like, we only take stories. Because they usually pay by the words. So, like, they'll say, like, we take up to X word count because we pay by the words. We have, like, a budget. So I was, like, I basically couldn't submit it to any almost no genre magazines would take anything of that length. And the one that would had like a two year waiting, like like in terms of response time. And yeah. I was like, no way, not waiting that long. And then I like uh, submitted to a bunch of literary magazines and I either would get like flat rejections. I got a couple of people being, this is really weird, but it's like way too long for us. Um, so I, I was really at the point where I was like, I'm not even gonna bother submitting this anywhere anymore. Um, I was just going to like put it aside. And then I, someone told me that Ben Marcus was the fiction editor at the American reader. Uh, yeah. And I was like, Oh, Ben Marcus, like he's a writer. Like maybe he'll want to read it. And then they, they bought it. They took it, uh, which was really exciting. And the American reader was like, they were amazing. They like really supported that story. And you know, it ended up, and then, but it's weird. Cause it's, I feel like there's a certain sort of subset of people who like, when they come up to me, like at readings and things, they're like, I discovered you because of especially heinous, which I like loved. It was so weird and bizarre and amazing. Um, and and then also when I read reviews of my book, it's like the most sort of contra- it's like a litmus test for that book. Right, right. Like, absolutely loathe it. And they're like, oh, what is the point? Like with this horrible, like endless bullshit story. Like people really hate it. Or they or they really love it. And I feel like there's like no middle ground, you know? So I don't know. And then also like when I would submit, like I would submit it for things and I remember, like, I submitted for this one fellowship, like, over and over, and only when I took Especially Heinous out of the manuscript did I get the fellowship. Interesting. Um, And so I feel like, again, it's, like, this very weird, and it was sort of my first experience being, like, oh, like, sometimes you make work that is, like, that is like that. And that's, like, good and also frustrating because it's, like, it's good because it's like, oh, that means that it's like, it's, it's weird that like people either like feel very, it's very polarizing. Yeah. I feel like it means it's interesting. But then also it's like, people are like, the people who hate it really, really hate it. So I don't know. It's like a very weird, it's like a weird thing. Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of the appeal of your book, at least for me, was that you were making bold choices in your book, I think in, in all of the stories you made, you know, it's bold stylistically, um, you're telling bold stories and you're, and you're not flinching. You're like walking confidently in the direction of um, the stories. And I, you know, I think it was on Twitter the other day or maybe some social media platform um, where you said that at some point an editor expressed concern that there were no men or few men in the collection is that am i just making that up or did i see that somewhere? oh no i i said something i i said this at a at a reading and i think someone tweeted it or, or something uh, it wasn't it wasn't about the book it was about one story in particular i had submitted it to an editor and who i ended up withdrawing it from this this project but like i had submitted a story and and he observed that there were like and it was weird because it wasn't like he was like i can't publish this because there's no men in it he was just like 
I just noticed that there are no men. It's a little weird because like there's a mother and a daughter, but there's no husband mentioned or, or father. And I remember just being like really bristling. Yeah. Whereas if there's no, you know, and it was like, I mean, actually was not necessarily proportional to what he was saying. Like it, but it really bothered me because I was like, like literally what, why does it matter? Like it is super, super irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And I just, offensive about the story and I was like I'm definitely not putting any dudes in this story (laughs) well and I and I just wonder like probably you know even as you were writing as a younger writer um if you ever worried about your stories being I mean and it's I think it's an utterly ridiculous worry but like ever worried or felt pressured like oh I need to be writing for like a wider audience or my stories need to be less queer like I'm I'm just wondering for people who who might be younger writers and sort of coming right. into their own writing, like how did you sort of um, deal with that as you know, being a queer person, then also being a writer, and like and like how to tell the stories you wanted to tell. Yeah, I mean, I think that is an anxiety that I had in this, and I mean, again, I feel like I keep coming back to that story, but I feel like especially Hannes is like a really good example of like how that anxiety was playing out because I was sort of like, I could make this story shorter. Like I could do things to the story to like make it more like digestible or mm-hmm. approachable. Um, but it would, would have violated the formal constraint that I had established myself. And also I feel like would have made, I, I liked the length. Like I felt like that was important. And so, you know, at some point I had to decide like, I'm just going to do this. Like I have to just do this thing because if I don't, I'm really mad at myself. I don't want to compromise, but like, and I don't want to sound like I'm so proud of myself for being that way because I, 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 I was nervous about it, you know, and I was nervous about like having stories with lots of sex in it, just in general. Yeah. Like, people get British and weird about that sometimes. Um, having lots of queer sex, like having lots of queer characters, like having all female protagonists, like, you know, like that, all those things are things that make the book less quote unquote, like approachable mm-hmm. or like, mainstream but like honestly a i think people underestimate because I, I definitely get a lot of like like i did not write my story for straight people or for men but i get a lot of dudes who like come to me and are like i love your book and like the straight folks are like i love your book and so like it isn't as if they can't read it you yeah know? yeah um absolutely they do and they love it but also yeah. when i get like i get a lot of emails and like people come up to me and like readings like queer young queer women being like oh my god like i feel so inspired by like you know book and that's what I care about like that is actually that's the only thing I truly care about um is being you know being like oh my god like just being a queer female voice like being out in the world like made me feel like I can write my queer female stories and I was like yes yes excellent that's what I that's what I want and what I need and like anything else is just like gravy you know? yeah yeah um, and so that and I've been getting a lot of that and I just think that's really important you know because like that, that like that to me is the thing that I really makes me feel like I made all the right choices for my work. Um, but no, I definitely like had anxiety about, you know, like what was in my story, like, you know, and also like, okay, like the sex thing. So like, I, like a lot of my stories are very sexually explicit. I'm like a teacher of writing and I do a lot of readings and I have like family who like wants to read my book. And like, at some point I had to be like, I'm just going to lean into this sex thing because I feel like that's what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Even my, not, not comp- necessarily compromise like my teaching, but like compromise like it's gonna, you know, people are gonna read my book and be like, whoa, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna 
use a lot of swear words. I'm gonna like say cunt constantly. I'm gonna like, desire and sex and orgasms and all those things. And like that is it just is what it is. Um, but yeah, I really had to make that choice. And like I don't know. I also <laughs> like I used to have I had this friend who years ago was like I don't want to be known as a queer writer. Like I want to be known as just like a writer. And I and I remember being like, huh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's so like. You know, and I feel like that's what, that's the pressure that, like, people feel, like, queer people and women and non-white people, where it's like, oh, I just want to be, like, because they think of, like, maleness and whiteness as straightness as this, like, default. And so people are like, I want to be thought of as just, like, a good writer, not, like, a good black writer or a good, like, female writer or right, a good right. queer writer. But, like, I'm also, like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being, like, oh, yeah, like, she's, she's a woman, she's a teenager, she's queer, like. And I think it's that sort of like, I mean, we're really moving into an age, I think right now of just like unapologetic writing, you know, like this is who I am. These are the stories I'm concerned with and I'm a great writer and I'm going to tell them and you're going to love them. You know, like we don't need to be scared anymore of not fitting into some like default whitewashed category um i mean i do think i mean i also don't want to be like polyamorous and be like it doesn't matter anymore like of course it matters like obviously publishing is still very like literary publishing is very like white like it's still there's like a heavy like the i know publishing the industry is very like female but also like the, the work when we think of like literary quote-unquote literary editors and like literary great literary geniuses like we still have some like, deep, deep male bias like it's like those things have gone away mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh but I do think that like there's some, there is something about you know people are like let's let's give it a chance and like I mean I'm really lucky that like I'm with Grey Wolf who like is a publisher you know who's like a nonprofit and is like mission driven and is like actively interested in like we're gonna publish the books out that we won't publish because if they're good like we want them in the world even if like maybe they aren't the most commercially viable thing right um, right and there's this real like energy like behind like all the poetry they publish and like the nonfiction and the fiction that is like queer and like, not white and like female like that's like really great and I feel like independent presses are like driving a lot of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really exciting you know it's exciting they can take risks like that and they yeah. do take risks it is really so. exciting it feels like it feels kind of exciting to be a writer night right now and to be in the literary world um so so you had this first book it was a mm-hmm. national book finalist Congratulations, yes. by the way. Thank it's you. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Also, the the on long listed and nominated for so many other awards. Um, so now you're moving into writing your second book, and I I'm wondering mm-hmm. if your sort of concept of success and failure going into this second book has been recalibrated at all, or if it just sort of remains the same in terms of the work. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. <laughs> I feel like that is, that is a thing that I have been very aware of because like everyone has been coming up to me has been like, I'm so excited for your next book. And I'm like, no, Oh, oh God. Oh God. <laughs> no, like, pressure. Okay, no. no pressure. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I get that pressure and it's like hard because like, I don't want to complain like if that book has done really, really well. And I've been super grateful and excited about like the reception that I've been getting and like all, all of that stuff has been like incredible and amazing exciting but like you know you're being now I have this new thing I have to do and it has a deadline (laughs) Uh, and I'm like oh my god like people are like now they're gonna be like waiting and I'm like I'm just I think I also have this anxiety where I'm like I really hope that like 
straight white dudes who bought like my book could also deal with like an experimentally structured memoir about this very specific like like abuse and queer relationships like this very specific topic that is like going to be incredibly alien to them like and I, I and again like not that I care critically but I also sort of like oh like what if like no one wants to buy this book I mean yeah I'm having a lot of anxiety about yeah, that and that's yeah. like and like why couldn't I have picked like a different thing for my second book but like this is <laughs> like, like I'm really glad that it's it's a thing that I was actually it was funny because I was like working on it while I was finishing my edits for her body and other parties and then when Great Wolf was like do you have any other books I was like actually I have this like memoir that I accidentally finished like while I was <laughs> while I was doing all my edits um you know and 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 so that was became my next book and like I'm really grateful it's with Grey Wolf because I feel like they will do it justice and like they're you know they have such an amazing track record yeah definitely weird beautiful nonfiction. so I, I feel that feels really good and I love my editor. I'm really excited to work on him with this book. But also, yeah, like, it's terrifying. Um, I'm really just about it. I'm trying to hard not to think about it. But, like, literally every everything I do, I was like, what's next? What's next? And I'm like, well, I sold a second book. And they're like, yay! And I'm like, I hope you feel that way in two years. <laughs> well, I mean, there. I, I, I would like to believe that there has to be, like, some some measure of relief when you sit down and have the writing in front of you, um, at least for me, you know, when I'm feeling really anxious about something, sitting down and being like, it's just about writing something that's right. interesting, right? Like when it comes down to it, doesn't matter, you know, right. wh- who it's about or um, what the story, even what the story is, it's more kind of, uh, it's just about writing something true and beautiful. I'm being very Pollyanna. I don't know why right now, but I know. Um, well, it's but I, you know, I feel like I have an anxiety when like okay, so like I don't want to say I don't want to like name names, but like there was a book that came out. I think it was last year by like a very well known acclaimed writer, and every review I read was very like this is a failed book. Yeah, this is not, and. I was like, in some ways, it's kind of inspiring that like a writer, it's okay, like it's okay to have a failed book, right? Like yeah. it's okay to, like you are like you are people already know that you're a great writer. To have tried and failed at something is still exciting, um, you know, because it's like you tried it, and it was like a book that for this writer was very um, a pretty big leap formally, and so and I think it just didn't do well, and like people, but like. It, that also, I'm like, oh, I hope people aren't like, oh, you know, Carmen's great first book was great, but like her second book, okay, it was kind of a failed book, but like, that's okay. I don't know. Like, I feel like I was worried about my reaction being the reaction that other people had about my book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I, I think about those books too, you know, by writers who I really love that are kind of stinkers. And it, also, yeah, right. Exactly. It doesn't like change my entire idea about them. You know, I'm like, oh, they'll probably write another great book and, they always have that first one that was amazing, you know, like, I feel like... But I feel like the phrase one-hit wonder, like, exists for a reason, right? <laughs> like, that is, like, a thing that we know, culturally we understand, where it's like, oh, yeah, they had that one song, but, like, what was their name again? You know, like, I can't remember who did this, but, like, I know that song, and I, I think I worry about that being... Yeah, yeah. Like, that concept, you know? Oh, gosh. I feel like that's such a... <clears throat> a common writerly anxiety. I mean, even for me, like, if I go back and read one of my favorite stories, I'm like, I'm just never going to write another story that good ever. Right. Like, it's 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 impossible. It's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned 
that uh, you kind of, I think you said, did you say you like writing or you hate writing? I love it. You love writing. So I do. I find it very exciting and relaxing at the same time. Do you ever have bad writing days? Or is it just always like you're sitting down and you're doing it and even if it's bad, it's good kind of thing? Um, I mean, I do have this thing where I get anxious when I'm not writing. Like, I feel guilty. And it's, like, hard because, like, I've been on tour for three months and, like, I have not written a damn word except for, like, one essay. So I was like, I'm going to pay you for this essay. And it's like, okay, I need the money. So, yes, I'll do that. But besides that, like, I haven't written anything. I haven't worked on any fiction. I'm more of a memoir or anything. And so I've, I've been, like, really kicking myself because everyone's like, what's your writing schedule? And I'm like, right now, literally nothing. Do you ever have to like trick yourself into sitting down to write? Do you have any like methods for actually getting yourself to a computer, get you to a computer I mean, the, and sitting down? The problem is that I need, I need like a lot of time ahead of me. Like I'm not a writer who can write in bits and snatches. Yeah. Like I have to be super relaxed. So I can really add a residency or like on a long break. Like that's the way that I work best. Um, I can't just like wake up and like write for an hour and then go do whatever I gotta do. Like I'm constant. Like I just can't do that. So like for me, it's like once I go to a residency, I'm like super productive. Then I have to like that's a whole thing I gotta go through. And then I'm like away from my wife, and it's just like hard, you know. Yeah, just, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I, I guess I don't have any tricks, but it's funny. Like I oftentimes what I'll do to kind of keep myself sane, like recently, like I wrote, I was in a residency this August, and I wrote a bunch of a new story that I really liked that I want to finish because I really like it, but I just haven't had the time. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll just reread what I wrote. And I'll be like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> like, good job, pass out. Like, you'll be able to finish this one day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it's a lot of that. Um, you know, if, if I still feel excited about it, that's always a good sign. You know, I was like, oh, I can't wait to finish this. Like, I, I really like what I wrote so far. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So there's that. But when I actually am writing, like, I do find it very relaxing. I don't know. I, I just feel very playful and I feel very, like, I can sort of do whatever I want. And, like, and I know that's unusual. I feel like a lot of writers are like, oh, writing is hard. It's a slog. It's difficult. But, like, once I'm actually doing it, I feel good. Yeah. 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 I think it's that, yeah, uh, it would be interesting to talk more specifically with, I feel like I can probably do that with writers about, you know, whether it's just really the, like, going into writing and coming out of it that's hard because I do feel like if you're a writer once you're in it and you're doing it it, it, Mm -hmm. there has to be something enjoyable about it right it's more like the worrying about it after you're done or the worrying about it before you've done it that is sort of excruciating or can be excruciating yeah um so there are probably some discouraged writers listening to this podcast they said oh the fail safe that's for me might you have any advice um, for someone who's listening to this, who is feeling down on their writing, uh, for for how, what to do or um, how to move back into their work? Oh God, um, I mean, I, I say this to people, and I know it sounds kind of like a cliche about like reading. Um, I feel like reading good work, like reading fiction that it, either you love it or it excites you, or it's like a writer that you really respond to I think they can be super helpful like I feel like so many times I've been like I feel like I don't want to write right now and I'll just pick up a book and like 
an hour later, I'm like ready to write again because I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. Look at these beautiful sentences. Like, oh my God, oh my God, look what they're doing. I'm so into it. And then like, I just go back into it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I feel like actually that is like one of the most helpful things for me. And I recommend this to all my students, like, and it can be like a book you've read 50 times. Like I reread Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, but like kind of ridiculous writing yep. journey yep. because it's so good. And I'm always like so amazed at the craft and the sentences and like the atmosphere and everything. And so it just like helps me to visit it yeah so for the struggling writer go and read the husband stitch by carmen maria machado you'll feel inspired oh Oh, god (laughs) um you might cry a little it'll be great you'll feel so many things but yeah truly though there there are those stories where it's like i'm just gonna go and read like my very favorite story or like the story that is most most evoked by the project I'm working on because I just need to like be in someone else's space for a while and then um, get yeah. inspired there and feel happy and positive about writing. I think that's great advice. So final question, which you don't have to answer. <laughs> Cat person, fail or win? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, hyper controversial. I know, I that's why you don't have to answer it, but I just, no, I, no, I feel no, like- no, I will. We, we just have to mention cat person. I don't know why. No, it's funny because I've been at all the events, like I, on the event on Monday, I mentioned cat person and almost got, not into a fight, but I got, almost got into a whole argument with my like fellow panelist about that story. <laughs> um, I really liked cat person. I thought it was really, uh, like, no, it was not without its problems as a story. Yeah. But I really felt like it, cap- it crystallized and captured this incredibly specific, very real dynamic that was extremely familiar to me as a person yeah and I think that there's something to be said about that like I don't know any of the other work by that writer I don't think that's in a I'm assuming it's not in a book so I'm now I'm curious I like want to read other stories by her I'm curious if this is like if she's just really good at like capturing that if that's like a thing that she is good at as a writer or if it's like it's a kind of a one-off like I don't know yeah um, yeah I but and also, I'm sure she must, honestly, I want to hear you talk to her, because I feel like that would be a really good question. Like, if you have, like, a piece of work that literally goes viral, and, like, like how do you then like, write other stories? Yeah, <laughs> right. Go, how know? do you finish your book, then? <laughs> I, right? And actually, I feel like you should totally reach out to her and try to talk to her. About uh, well, that's thing. great. Yeah. Next next episode, author of Cat Person. Yeah. yeah I mean, I have oh, so many questions, too. And I just, I just <laughs> also love that that story was published in the New Yorker. I think that that's an also significant, significant part piece of like the story of that story. Um, Because yeah, yeah. it's just not the story that gets told in the New Yorker really that all that often. Right. I mean, I think like I was talking to actually my friend Tony about this yesterday and he was saying like, it's not that story hasn't been written in sort of varying forms before, but something about it being in the New Yorker sort of puts this like, kind of seal on it that like I think people are really responding to um like a hyper visibility but I I sort of loved it I love that I love that about it and like for all its flaws I felt like there's like I don't know okay so I'm about to be like really cheesy so I I please Elizabeth Gilbert Elizabeth Gilbert has this TED talk that I really love and all those are embarrassing facts about me I love it But there's this one TED Talk she has that I really like where she talks about genius and she talks about the sort of the the history of the concept of genius for artists and like how that 
the, the switch of how that's been perceived historically might account for some of the like stereotypes and, and realities about like mental health and art. So she talks about how, like, in the olden days, in the olden days, like, in, you know, Roman times or whatever, people would be, like, one has a genius. Like, it's, like, a muse or, like, a spirit. Oh, yeah. And, like, you physically have it and it enters through you and, like, you are the vessel and, like, the thing comes out of you, the story or the poem or the art or whatever. And then, but, like, now it's, like, people are geniuses, quote, unquote. Like, that phrase exists. And so, like, the pressure becomes on you, like, as the person or as the artist as opposed to being, like, oh, like, I'm just a vessel. Like, I can't control like what spirit enters me and like helps me make art. Um, and she gives this example and she talks about how um, the, the idea that like sometimes like an artist just has a transcendent moment where like something kind of breaks through. And like, she talks about how the history of the phrase um, ole, like, you know, in, in, in Spain, we're like, ole, ole, like, you know, it's sort of like, like you say that, like, sort of like a tuna artist who's like that's something really incredible and how that comes from when the Moors invaded uh, uh, Spain and like the phrase was Allah like it was Allah Allah like people would see art and they'd be like it's God like God is present like we are seeing this like breakthrough I'm not doing it justice it's actually it's a really good TED talk I highly recommend it but anyway so it's like God has like broke broken through and in this moment we're not seeing like an artist working really hard at their craft we're seeing this like beautiful sort of like, image of god right and so i feel like that idea that like sometimes like a, an artist or regardless of like things about craft or like th- you know they're sort of the, the sweat and tears they put into a project there's like this sort of moment of like transcendent breakthrough where like something just reaches people yeah uh, sorry that was a long explanation for like what no i loved say, it never apologize but I feel like, for that yeah but i just sort of feel like that is like that's like maybe what happened is like we were just sort of like this 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 particular writer in a particular venue, this particular moment, this one story managed to like encapsulate something that not only did speak it speak to a lot of people, but also spoke to a lot of people who like rarely see their experiences like written in such a clear way in a place that's so huge. Absolutely. And so like yeah. I think there was just like a combination of factors that made it really sing. And so I feel like even if you I mean I know a lot of people, like, really have complaints about it, but, like, I feel like th- that, to me, is something that story really sing for me. Like, I read it and felt like I'd been knocked over, not because, like, it blew my mind in, like, a craft way or, like, it, but that, like, I was, like, oh, my God, like, I feel like I just saw this, like, straight wormhole into, like, the female experience. Yeah. Really specific. Yeah. It was, it was, like, uh, it was so, almost, yeah. like, a cultural moment even more than it was a story. It was, like, in it and the context that it was created in and the context that it was read in all kind of swirled together to create this right this thing that people right. really like responded to yeah yeah and and that's so, the final yeah. word on cat person you've heard it here folks <laughs> And I, sw- I, I promise you I am telling the truth. The moment I said the word cat person, my cat jumped into my lap and will not get out of my lap. So I just, Oh, no! Um, he was like, you called? He's like, hello. <laughs> well, you know, I wish I could have been there in Tony's living room with you and we could have just chatted face-to-face, so we'll have to do that another time. Um, I would love that. Yes. It's been so Thanks. fun to talk to you. And I love your book, and I'm so happy. It's just been really fun to watch this whole year and I hope that it continues to just be fun um to watch what you do I'm excited for your second book no pressure and uh just wish you, <laughs> <laughs> just wish you all the best well thank you so much thank you thank you so much all right. for
Thanks so much, Carmen. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. And please subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud. We have more great episodes coming up. This episode was edited and produced by yours truly with production support by Andrea Wilson and Mark Polanzak. As ever, the Failsafe is a joint effort of Draft, the Journal of Process, and the Iowa Writers' House, with special thanks to the Iowa Arts Council. I'm Rachel Yoder. Thanks for listening.